Welcome to the Daily Path Podcast, where it's all about building an authentic life and business. I'm your host, Joe Winters Jr., and now for today's message. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Daily Path Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Winters Jr., and on today's podcast episode, I am joined by Colby Bowers, who is the co-founder of the Sentinel Equity Group, which is a real estate company that acquires and manages multifamily properties. He has over 20 years of experience in real estate investing, ranging from fix and flips, single family rentals to private note lending. He leverages his skills in commercial real estate transactions, fund management, and risk aversion to generate passive income and long-term wealth for his clients and partners. Kobe, welcome to the podcast. Joe, thank you for having me on, and I'm excited to be here. Thank you for joining me. Uh, so today I would like to talk to you about how you provide everyday investors access to the institutional grade real estate deals that are normally reserved for only the largest investors, how you acquire clients for your business and how you got to where you are today. So please start by telling us what inspired you to start a real estate company in the first place. So long time ago, uh, I was an active duty military uh, as part of my first career. And, you know, I always had wanted to had that entrepreneurial um, bug within me. And I got to a unit where I was deploying quite a bit. Uh, I was jumping out of air, perfectly good airplanes, making some good money. Instead of going out and investing in new vehicles, I just started buying single family homes mm. and, you know, built the, the, the passion from there. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, I retired after 23 years in the military. I'm also a wounded warrior. And that's kind of transferred my my focus a little bit uh because now I'm, I'm not only focused on still having an entrepreneur working for myself but also helping others uh it's mm. one of the big things takeaways from being in the military is you're part of something bigger than yourself right and i want to try to continue that uh, on on the outside mm. and so that's why we work a lot with new t- new investors and just investors in general that giving them opportunities that they wouldn't have unless they had millions of dollars. Mm. That Well, so firstly, I want to say thank you for uh, your service, firstly. Um, secondly, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that you had already had, you had always had the entrepreneurial um, spirit. Um, was that like since you had joined the military or were you interested in entrepreneurship before you got in the military? Yeah, I was interested beforehand. So my, my, my dad owned his own uh, auto shop. So doing like mechanic shop, little gas station. And so, you know, I got to see him working and, you know, being able to make his own schedule and stuff and work a lot of hours. And so I think just, you know, going down and spending time at the shop with him, you know, kind of put that plug in of going, okay, I, I can do this. You know, I can work for myself, earn a good living right. and, and, and a good, honest living. Mm. So that, that's just stuck with me. That makes sense. What influenced you to like, was it intentional for you to serve first and then you were going to get into entrepreneurship? Like, did you make that decision before you served or um, you you did make that decision? I did. I probably since elementary school, I knew I was going to join the military. It was the Mm. question was, was it going to be before or after college? Mm. Uh, My whole family, I've, I've got roots. I had members of my family that fought on both sides of uh, during the civil war. 
Mm. So, uh, you know, very unique dynamic and family reunions and get togethers are, are still kind of fun. But, you know, it's uh, so it's, you know, World War One, um, you know, just uh, it, it's been there. My dad served. My grandfather, both grandfathers were one was in Korea, the other one in World War Two. So I think it's just it was instilled. And so mm-hmm. I knew I was going to do it from listening to all their stories. And I the only thing I didn't know is how long was I going to do? I only planned on doing four years. Let me get out and go to college and do something. And 23 years later, I'm finally like, oh, hey, you know, let's let's now do something. And right. uh, so uh, not many regrets. Yeah. How, <laughs> how, 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 how much did investing in the properties you were investing in while serving in the military influence you to say at 23 years, hey, it's time to do something else? Like, was that a major part of what influenced you to finally make that decision? Uh, you know, it was part of it. Um, I think actually wanting to spend more time uh, with my family, uh, you know, so because well, being in the military, you're moving around quite often every couple of years. I was in higher, higher rank. So, you know, was, every time I'd get promoted or something, you know, two, three years on on at a duty station, they're like, you're going, going to the next one. And so, you know, we wanted to having a young child and um, my wife and I, we wanted to have some stability for our son. Mm. And, you know, I did want to do a deeper dive into real estate. More specifically, I wanted to get into the commercial side, mm. wanted to buy apartment buildings. And so that's, um, you know, those two things were kind of the biggest drivers. Mm. That certainly makes sense. You mentioned that you were a wounded warrior. I know, man, you spoke about it before we um, pressed record. But if you don't mind, um, share your experience with that Um you know, whatever you're willing to share and how you overcame it. Sure. And that's where actually my comment of not everything about the military was all good. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I, like I mentioned before, I jumped out of perfectly good airplanes. Um, I did not, was not a parachutist. I was what they call airborne. So it was static line where your parachute is actually attached and, and deployed as you leave the aircraft. Mm. Um, so you're not pulling any cords or anything and it's very rough and you're, only about a thousand foot off the ground uh, during training and you're falling 18 feet a second. Mm. So I had a number of hard landings uh, that resulted mm. in some concussions uh, while deployed. I deployed during a five year period. I uh, did eight deployments, a little over a thousand days uh, deployed um, as a combat medic. So I was outside the wire doing uh, patrolling, uh, doing raids, you know, just I was out and about getting shot at. Mm. And uh, so suffered a number of uh, blast injuries, um, got blown up a couple of times, and they just had a culminating effect. And uh, just I started noticing changes, you know, and being a medic, I'm like, man, I, there's there's something wrong. I just didn't know what was wrong. You know, was, uh, I was uh, falling upstairs, mm. uh, fell downstairs a few times, but mainly falling, going upstairs. Mm. Who does that? Right. Right. Um, I was a so falling a lot, uh, short term memory issues, uh, would forget what I was talking about mid conversation. And I'm like, man, is this, you know, the medic in me is going right. Is this, you know, physical or mental or both? And I couldn't get any answers. I was going to sick calls, going to see my doctors and stuff. And it just was gradually getting worse to the point where when my son was born, I couldn't 
hold him for fear of falling. Mm. Uh, and so that I, I wasn't able to really bond with my son for the first two years of his life because I was so scared. And, you know, with memory issues, I couldn't be left alone with him. I was when I couldn't drive. I had a cane. Mm. Uh, the doctors were actually looking at I was on a list to get me a dog uh, because I was such a fall risk. And, and because of falling, I'd bump my head a few more times, which you already have a head injury. You're more susceptible of getting additional ones. And so it had that culminating effect. Um, and so I, mean, I was just I was to the point where, you know, with my son, I, my, my, my future mentality was, you know, man, if I go to my son's graduation, high school graduation, uh, I'm going to go in a wheelchair if I'm even alive by then at all. Uh, and you know so obviously that creates you know there's there's uh you know it's 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 troubling right it's it's hard it's it's you know it's mentally tough but it's tough on the family and the wife your child so but fortunately or at least i'm fortunate enough that my wife is way more stubborn and determined than i am and kept a boot in my butt and really, you know, was going to the doctor's appointments and stuff. And it took six, six years for me to finally get a proper diagnosis. Mm. And then um, from there to actually get treatment was a number of years later, I was getting some treatment, but uh, the science hadn't really caught up. And it wasn't until actually I retired from the military and I went and spent three weeks uh, down in Denver, Colorado um, at the brain center that um, I got a basically new lease on life. Um, mm. I went in as a fall risk, like I said, still on the waiting list to get my dog and, you know, just no hope and stuff that when I left there, I didn't need my cane. Um, mm. uh, so it was, it was a miracle in some aspects, but it's, it's modern science and the proper mm. uh, prognosis and the proper rehabilitation Mm. really set me on the right path and that's what really reignited my entrepreneurial um, uh, fire mm. because I'm like all right now I'm I, I can be a productive member of society I can provide for my family mm. now how do I do that right. you know I don't initially go to work hey I was doing real estate I wanted my dream was to get into commercial let's let's do this mm. and uh, so I dove into it and I took all that, you know, my wife said, you know, but a grit and determination. Um, you know, once I saw that light at the end of the tunnel, I knew I could overcome um, pretty much anything. And mm. especially with having the right network or support uh, was very important to that. And I think three, three years after um, I left the hospital that, that as, a, as a patient, I took myself uh, three other wounded warriors who are actually uh, in my cohort, in my pa- as a patient with. We're all at the the, uh, uh, the the medical center at the same time, uh, and a uh, local um, firefighter, and we summited Mount Kilimanjaro, hmm. and we did that to prove because we all had the same issues, balance issues, memory. We all had you know traumatic brain injuries is basically what we were diagnosed with, and. You know, we all, our stories were different, but the same at the same time, you know, it's, you know, our, our, how we got to that point in our lives was very, very different. 
but symptoms and the results were the same. Mm. And we wanted to prove to other veterans and not just veterans. Um, and like I mentioned before, there's over 8 million concussions and traumatic brain injuries just in the United States alone each year. So there's other folks that are getting undiagnosed or having some of these similar problems. We wanted to be an inspiration of going, look, there is hope, right. you know, there is uh, help out there, therapies, uh, physical therapies to allow you to, you know, become a contributing member of society. Mm. And Hey, I went from walking with a cane to really it was less than three years later. I summited Mount Kilimanjaro. Now I had walking sticks, but I was not needed. So it, it, it's, it's definitely, uh, I, I would say you're, you're certainly an inspiration and, and would have to agree that, um, you know, it, it, it may have been a miracle. I mean, some would say that you're just extremely blessed and it's to me clear that you're, you're still here for a reason. I wanted to back up to when you said you had a number of hard, uh, landings, uh, which, so correct me if I'm wrong, like you've jumped out of a plane of some sort more than once and have landed rough more than one time. Um, yeah, I have taken off in more airplanes than I've landed in airplanes. And so, yeah. and, and, and in addition to that, you've been blown up a few times. I mean, like, it, I mean, the, the, the things that you've seen, like, you're <laughs> blessed to be here. Like, my question, just from like a mindset perspective is, how do you have a hard fall the first time, get back up, make the decision to jump from the plane again and then again? And then how do you, uh, from a mindset perspective, uh, face being blown up and not make the decision to throw in the towel and, and you keep you kept going like like what, you know, what was your train of thought? Uh, what was the principle or the mantra or the 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 ideas that kept you going you know and that's a good question i i jokingly tell everybody it's peer pressure mm. uh to, to get back up because nobody wants to be the quitter especially in the military mm. but but it, it's actually it, it's it's you know deeper than that you know it's you know you join the military especially you stay in the military for the folks around you and you know you don't want to let them down so my goal, especially as a medic, there was only out of, we had 200 people in our unit, 200 troops, and we only had two medics. So if I took a day off or didn't go on employment, if I quit, you know, then they didn't have somebody to take care of. Them. And the reason that my teams were able to operate at the high level that they were able to perform is because they knew that if they got injured, um, they knew that come hell or high water, I was going to do what I could to keep them alive. And it didn't matter what was going on around um, You know, and, and I've actually had troops where they come up and they're like, we don't want to go on a deployment without you. You know, because we know we can perform. We don't have to worry about getting hurt. Because if we get hurt, we know you're going to be there whether – you know, in the middle of a firefight or rocket, you know, whatever, you're going to risk your life to come save others. Mm. You know, and I, and I love that, that bond and, and the camaraderie. And it was the same as, you know, you're driving down the streets of Baghdad and 
you know, you're, we've watched stuff explode. We had a car bomb exploded, you know, 400 feet in front of us. Mm. The reverberation. Um, but we had a job to do. And, you know, my team was relying on me to do my job and I was relying on them. And because of that, it makes you overcome a lot of your fears. Don't get me wrong. You're, you're scared shitless. Right. You're, you know, it, there's no qualms about it. Everyone says they're not, they're not scared. They're either lying or they're a psychopath. Mm. Um, so, but you just, it's, what do you do with it? You don't, you, you know, you rely on your training and you rely on your team. Mm. And, you know, that stuck with me, honestly. And it's what my partner and I, who's former Marine, um, why we get along and why, you know, I think we do so well because we can integrate with a team. And I think it really transfers over into uh, any business per se, right. you know, really, and but really into ours and why we've gone literally in two years, you know, we went from, you know, we had our own individual stuff, but as a company in two years, when we launched, um, we have over $84 million in assets under management in two years. Mm. Um, and it's because of, right, we, we network. We, we build teams, we rely on each other, we trust in each other, we trust in our partners. Mm. And, you know, we don't want to let our team or partners down. So that's what our drive and motivation uh, and what keeps us going. And I think why, why we haven't quit, you know, and that's why I didn't quit in the military. And it's why I haven't quit in business. Mm. And, you know, anyone knows you're in business long enough, it's hard. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think it's powerful. Um, what we as people can do when we're dedicated to um, a cause bigger than ourselves, when we're, when we are part of something bigger than ourselves, because essentially that's what you're saying. Like you've, you've, you've been dedicated to causes um, that that's bigger than you and a a part of teams that that's bigger than you. Um, Thank you for sharing that, uh, that story with us and speaking to what you and your business partner has been able to do um, with, within a two year period, which is a phenomenal accomplishment. Um, when you first started your real estate business, what were some of the top challenges, um, that you and your business partner faced on your way to, um, building your company to 84 million in assets, as you mentioned? Right. Um, it's, uh, couple, you know, obviously there's, there's all sorts of different, different things. I think our two biggest challenges was, uh, branding, you know, getting our name out there Uh, because military guys, you know, we can find deals, but investors, you know, you don't stay in the military, uh, for the paycheck. So there's not a lot, not saying there's none, but there's not a lot of high net worth folks in Mm. the military. Right. And that's just, just the nature of, of it. So getting our name out there amongst potential investors was a huge mm-hmm. challenge, right? So we put that underneath the branding piece okay. and, you know, so just getting out and networking and um, so, which is getting outside of our comfort zone, putting ourselves out there, talking about our stories, what we're doing, being vulnerable, being humble, right. um, being honest and transparent. <clears throat> so, so that was a big one. Uh, the other one was actually, it wasn't really uh, what he and I together, but what he uh, and Rob's my partner, what he and I learned and had to overcome before we even came together was the education piece of it. 
Mm. So we didn't just, yes, I had some, you know, residential real estate background, right. but commercial real estate's a different beast. Mm. Uh, a whole bunch of different uh, added zeros to the equation, but we need to educate ourselves. So we had to un- overcome that. Is that hurdle? And by doing that, I actually spent the first 12 to 18 months of my journey into the commercial side into education. I bought mm. uh, um, uh, coaching, mentorship. You know, I probably spent a good $25,000, $30,000 on mm. me education mm. because I knew that the mistakes were going to be amplified. And I didn't, you know, it's one thing when it was my money on the residential side. Right. I'm going to have my parents' money, my friends' money, you know, strangers' money. Um, they had that trust. So I wanted to make sure that I was able, uh, you know, I knew what I was doing, basically. And right. so those were, I'd say, probably the two biggest ones. Mm. So, so the first um, top challenge was branding and the solution was you and your partner getting out networking um, as much as possible. Did I get that correct? Correct. Yep. My partner uh, has the largest uh, commercial real estate meetup in Dallas, Fort Worth. Mm. He has over a hundred in, over a hundred people come each month. Um, Mm. He's got, he has sponsors for it. Um, it's, it's really growing. He grown it. His first one less than two years ago. I love telling this story because it goes back to his grit and determination. His first one, he went out, him and his wife showed up to the meetup and it was just him and her. Mm. Wow. And so they had a nice dinner, but he didn't get <laughs> up. Right. right. And it just, it gradually, it grew. And now two years mm. later, you know, it's, it's over a hundred. I think he had last, last I think it was last week, 120 people. Mm, wow. So, I, that, that, that's, that's remarkable. I'm gonna have to um, come in, um, sit in on, on one of the meetups, hope, maybe even uh, do a live in-person interview or something. That'd be, that'd be one of the first, but uh, so that, um, that was, that was the first one branding and, and, you know, y'all <laughs> networked as much as um, possible. And then the second challenge was the education piece in which um, you mentioned you spent about you know, twenty to thirty thousand dollars on your education alone, um, just just to to get, uh, I don't know, even like a bigger picture of this uh, for my listener who um, should be investing in themselves, but uh, you know, is apprehensive about it. Um, are you aware, just roughly, of uh, how much your your partner also invested in himself um, over this period? Like, w- would you say that it was it was around a similar amount? Like, in between the two of you, you're looking like, does that make sense? Like, I, I want yeah, I, I want my listeners to get a, a great understanding of like when you get into business or anything that you want to have massive success in, going at it from the perspective that you know all the answers or that you you don't have to invest in yourself is like th- like that. That's a that's a, a trap that, that many falls into, um, not wanting to invest in themselves. So, um, are, are you kind of, does that make sense though? Collectively, um, what would you say y'all invested in yourselves as well as your company, I guess, in a sense? Yeah, we're probably well easily 50,000. We actually, mm. Robin met at one of the, uh, mentor mentorship meetups. Oh, wow. Um, that's how we met. So when you have to pay, become part of that mentorship. So, mm. yeah. and, so, so, and- so I don't even mean to cut you off, but I just want to nail this really fast for the listener. So what you're saying to me is that you pay money to be a part of a mentorship program. Your partner paid money to be a part of a mentorship program. You met in that mentorship program, you become business partners, and now you have a company that has over $84 million in assets. Is, am I hearing you correctly? Correct. 
Uh, I love to say <laughs> your your net worth is your network. Mm. So if you're not growing, if you're not, and also your knowledge, right? So if I go to any event and I'm the smartest person in that room, mm. I, that I'm not going to learn that that event is not for me. I will not go back. And, it, and it's not that. Right. I want to I want to go some I want to be go to a mentorship. I want to go to a conference where I, I I'm the dumbest person in the room. You know, that's my mentality. I want to go in there because I want to be brought up. Right. And then, you know, and then also I have folks is it's you know, and it's not just a one way street. I'm not just looking to grab it. You know, I'm trying to hopefully reach up and be pulled up with one hand. And then there's folks that, and Rob and I both do this, and why we love what we're doing and, and mm. part of our give back, but we're hopefully reaching down and bringing folks up with us mm. um, and trying to create that, create that community. Um, it's not a competition. And right. one of the things I, I hate, and I, and I really put like to put this point out is, you know, I get asked all the time was, well, why are you, you know, why are you talking to your competition? Well, mm. I'm not, I don't have competition. Mm. What I invest in, in my, my buy box, my criteria for me and my investors that I'm looking out for is mine. Mm. Right. And I don't look at somebody else that's looking to buy the same property as me as, as competition. I look at them as a future partner. Mm. Right. But when I go in, it's not adversarial. It's like, cool. Hey, what do you got going? You guys like, if we come across like not all the time, you're going to know who's, who's brought, you know, else is bidding on the property. Right. But sometimes you'll you'll know who's in your market and you'll come across them at these meetups. And, you know, instead of like trying to get an edge, it's like, hey, you know, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Hey, cool. Hey, you know what? If you get something in, in this, you know, similar to this property we both bet on, mm. um, dude, why don't we combine forces? Mm. Why don't we work together? Let's divide and conquer. Mm. And so that's what we've gotten a number of our partners mm. is Maybe. by doing that. You know, and so it's you're growing with each other. Mm. So whenever you and and that's a great strategy. I I completely agree. I feel like a lot of um, entrepreneurs struggle with turning um, what they perceive as competitors into partners. Um, and so uh, it sounds like what you're saying in in your approach is instead of saying something along the lines of you know, um, how about I send you deals and you send me deals? You're rather saying. How about if we see something we both want, we both enter the arrangement together? Is that 100%? Because mm. the, the two hardest things in commercial real estate is finding deals and finding money. Mm. So, you know, and so um, if one of us finds a deal, mm. well, cool. Now, and then we have two successful partners. Well, hey, I've got this deal. Now let's both go out and raise money. So now I don't have all the stress of trying to come up with um, our deal right now. We're raising $4.1 million. Mm. You know, we brought in two other partners. We're mm. all, we're all capital raising. Okay. So now we, we get to split that stress, right? That divide and conquer. Mm. And what that also allows is now, instead of Rob and I just being able to do one deal this year, mm. this will be our second deal. So mm. we did a, uh, we did 152 unit um, back in March. This one's a little bit smaller, 50 unit. Um, we're, so we can do two deals now mm. um, because yeah. we're able to diversify out and we don't sap out all of our investors, our capital. Mm. And, and, and for, for, you know, the listener that's listening and they're thinking like, well, one or two deals, like, I mean, like that, that's like, that's not a lot of deals, like um, without getting too far into the numbers, but like how, how, 
for, for the bigger deal that you did this year, like how much money is included in that deal overall? Like is the 152 unit was a $19.2 million deal. Yeah. We were part of a deal last year, 419 units that closed the first week in December. Uh, mm. That was a $52 million deal. Mm. Man, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I want to know. It definitely does add up that, that compounds. And I want to say to my listeners, I want to take the moment right now to say this is the reason why you know, understanding, you know, your value is important and not really being focused on um, quantity so much is important. Like, I do believe that, like, you know, um, doing as much as you can to uh, produce as many deals as you can is great. But like one of the things that I've seen entrepreneurs kind of struggle with is making as much money as they would actually like because they're saying it from a I need to produce um hundreds or thousands of sales instead of, you know, even, instead of considering, you know, what it would look like to produce one to 10 deals a year. Um, but they are much larger, um, in, in nature. So, uh, thank you for, for sharing that in your company, you help everyday investors access the institutional grade real estate deals that are normally reserved for only the largest investors. For those who don't know, what is an institutional grade real estate deal? What is that? So you have, there's a lot of uh, hedge funds out there. There's a lot of family offices, you know, so families with net worth of typically $20 million or more. Um, you have insurance companies. You have uh, retirement, uh, like 401k type companies that take from employees or state and federal level mm. that have millions and sometimes billions of dollars that mm. they can go out and they can buy uh, a $52 million deal and pay cash for it. Mm. Uh, and then become an investor alongside of those, right? Then you're talking like, um, like Merrill Lynch, right? If you want to invest with Merrill Lynch on a deal, Sometimes on a commercial real estate, you need one, two to $5 million. And there are some cases you need even more than that to even get your toe in the door to have a potential of investing in some of these larger deals. Mm. And so what we do is, again, we, we divide and conquer. We work with our network. We partner up and we, we syndicate a lot of our deals. And basically what we do is we take a large deal and we work with an SEC attorney, so a Security Exchange Commission. Um, and we break this into securities and we sell shares. So think of it as kind of like a REIT, but instead of an actual REIT where you can buy and sell shares that you will, you're actually investing directly into this property. So instead of needing millions of dollars, you only need thousands of dollars. Mm. Mm. So typically we tell our investors, if you have $50,000 or more, we can easily get you into, you know, one of our deals. And, um, and, 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 and just to clarify, this is possible because there are like, uh, you know, several investors in one deal. Is that what I'm hearing? Right. So we pool investors. So we, yeah. So when we set up a syndication, we actually, the investor, they come in as what we call, uh, we designate as a limited partner. So basically you are, you're a, um, you're, you're a silent partner, right? You're totally passive. And we, you, we created its own entity, LLC, and the money goes into into that or is protected. The investor goes into that. Right. Then us general partners have our own LLC and both LLCs own the LLC that oversees the company. 
us general partners. And the reason we do that is because then we, we protect our investors. Okay. So any legality, um, if we were to screw up and uh, go bankrupt or what have you, or, you know, property, there's no blowback onto the investors. Now, mm. as a general partner, and that's why we have our own LLC as the general partners, because we're the ones signing on the loan with the lender. Uh, so that the lender only comes after us. Knock on, knock on wood. You know, we <laughs> we're very conservative in our approach, but that's just one of the ways how we can break down a large deal mm. into its components. So we may have twenty investors at say a hundred thousand dollars or whatever they come in at. We also, and the other thing that we do as well that a lot of folks uh, operators don't do, we put our own money in. So if the minimal amount is say fifty thousand dollars on a deal, we're bringing you a deal. Rest assured, fifty thousand dollars of my money, my partner and I's money, is in that deal right alongside as yours. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it, so uh, one question I want to ask you is um, on on the average deal, how many investors do y'all tend to pull in? Um, man, actually, it, it, it obviously depends on the size of the deal. Okay. Okay. Right. So, you know, a larger deal, um, you know, we may have 25, 30 investors, mm. uh, a smaller deal. We may only have five or six. Mm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, man, that, that's a, that's a lot of, that's a lot of great stuff. So what would you say is a common misconception amongst new real estate investors? The common mistake is that um, now I want to and I want to kind of add a distinction here. So as a passive real estate investor, if you're just investing in syndication as a limited partner is one thing. If you're a real estate investor, which I still consider myself a real estate investor, but you're doing what I'm doing and you're out finding the property, setting the deals up and, you know, getting them to closing. Um, I'll focus on that because the biggest misconception that there's a lot of gurus out there, a lot of podcasts mm. that like, oh, this is easy. This is passive income. Mm. I That is the biggest line of BS that I have heard. I my, And my wife will contest this. I work more now than when I was in the military. Probably. More hours. I can do it from home. But, you know, and I travel too. I, I go to all the properties. We're in five, four states right now. So I travel out to, to those deals. Um, yeah, so for it to be passive, um, don't, don't listen to those gurus um, out there touting that because there's a lot of time and energy. Mm. So how would you, uh, well, here's a question I definitely want to ask before I forget and we get too far away from it. Let's say someone is coming from, a not so high net worth background um, and they have a new real estate company or, you know, I mean, it could, it could be any type of new company, but, um, but they are ambitious, want to do the right networking. How would you advise someone from a lower um, net worth background to go about networking with a higher net worth background? And not only that, could you give us an example of, you know, when you reached up to a uh, network with a someone from a high higher network background and how that went? No, and that's awesome. Good question because uh, it, it's hugely important. Uh, I I was that person. Uh, 
I had literally no net worth when I retired from that. I mean, I had a little bit, right. Cause that single family stuff, but nowhere near where I wanted to be or, you know, um, but it goes back is to, is, is, is network. Right. And, and I say that a lot, but, um, look locally first, right. Meetup.com is a good one. Where's some local real estate. There's folks there that are guaranteed going to have higher net worth, more experience than you, especially if you're just starting out. That's a great place to start, right? A lot of times they're free. You go out, you know, maybe cost you a dinner or something, you know, and some gas. Uh, um, the next level I would say is get out there on Google. Bigger Pockets, I think, is a great resource to find now because it's it's a community effort of you know what's what. Uh, you know, and travel, like what, what's a good conference that's coming up, mm. right? Uh, I'm going to be uh, next month. Uh, well, it's what, end of, so in September, I'm going to be in Florida uh, mm. for three days at a conference. There's going to be six to 800 um, other investors there. Mm. A lot of the investors that are going to be there, probably half of them are folks that want to be passive. They want to find operators that, mm. that they want to invest in or work mm. with. So, and then you're going to have experienced operators that are looking to start in, in new markets. Right. And so that's where you go through and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm when what I did is like, I'm new, I'm motivated. I don't bring a lot to the table right now, other than grit and determination. Mm. And they're like, well, where are you looking at operating? And I'm like, well, here's my, my initial markets. And they're like, you know what? Hey, we, I have an interest in, and, and it was Arkansas and I'm still mm. there. I love Arkansas. Um, and, so they're like, if you find me some deals in Arkansas, underwrite them, let's talk to the team and let, let's talk. Mm. Uh, and so I did that. And my first deal in Arkansas was with an investor and somebody with some experience at one of these conferences that I traveled to, mm. spent, or I probably spent $1,000 with airfare, you know, the whole gamut, plus the ticket to get into this thing. And they wrote me a check for $350,000 to buy a 15-unit apartment complex. Mm. So it, it sounds like when you um, decided that you were going to start networking with higher net worth individuals, number one, you relied on honesty. You just told them from the jump, like, hey, I'm new to this. I don't bring much to the table other than being motivated, grit and determination. Um, and I, I'm looking to, to, you know, work with someone or kind of going in for that ask. And um, essentially that you were able to get your first deal because the person you partnered with in a sense, if I'm hearing correctly, they had the leverage and you had to be okay with, um, basically like doing the groundwork required to, uh, in a sense, impress them or prove yourself to them. And which then got you, you know, um, some, some results, I would imagine, some some confidence and and then from there you just kind of i would imagine it snowballed from there is that kind of um what i'm hearing yeah you have to sell yourself so um anytime really but so i i've come to realize that 99 percent of investors are investing in me not the property Mm. doesn't matter i could bring them a freaking cracker jack box and as an investment and a lot of, they would probably say yes, because, you know, it's me, right? And my partner. Right. So, so yes, the deal obviously is important. You got to find, you got to be able to execute and make them money. Mm. But 
you know, you have to build that relationship and that rapport with them. Mm. So that's, that's the critical piece. And so, yeah. And as soon as you do that and you get that first success on your belt, it's going to do two things is one, look at all the experience and confidence that you're going to gain because you closed your very first deal, right? Mm. You're talking million dollar versus, you know, hundred thousand dollars, single family, 200,000, you know, it was a $1.5 million deal. Okay. Mm. That's not a lot. Now you're able to do 10, $20 million deals, mm. but my first deal, I was scared, uh, you know, just like being on the streets of Iraq, I went, oh crap, what's going to happen? Right. But I was not going to let my investor down. Mm. So I think they just saw something in it and it allowed me to, to succeed. And after that deal, I'm like, all right, this isn't that hard. It's mm. a lot of work. Right. It is a lot of work, right. but it isn't rocket science. Mm. So it's a process. All right. Mm. Hey, military, we go through processes all the time. Let me just turn this into a process like we would in military. Mm. And that just made sense to me. And then I, I constantly learning and mm. it's, yeah. And then they got, they got a good return. They introduced me to another, another investor and then they invested with me again. Mm. And that's the other, you know, right. So now it, it does create that snowball. And then now mm. I'm also building up that resume. Hey, I've gone full cycle on a deal. Um, this is how many deals I've done. You know, mm. Oh, Hey, I want to talk to one of my investors. You need a reference. Call them. Mm, you know, that sounds that sounds great. So so for the person that's listening with the new real estate company and they're looking to get their first deal or first few deals, step one, um, be transparent about the fact that you're new and you know, um that you most likely don't bring much to the table besides, you know, mentality, work ethic, grit, determination. Um, step two is actually make good on what you and whoever you partner with um, come to terms about. And then step three, just uh, continue, uh, you know, continue putting in the reps, so to speak, continue doing the same thing. Is Am I hearing you correctly? A hundred percent. And and also on your first deal, don't worry about what goes in your pocket. Mm. Don't even my mindset with my first deal is I don't care. I don't want to, my only goal was I don't want to lose money. Mm. that was that was my whole thing if i if i if i don't make any money i'm fine with that because i just wanted to go through the process i wanted to prove not only to myself but my investor mm. uh, i made my investor great money um and i i had them and i still use this mindset i'd rather have one percent of something than a hundred percent of one. absolutely so, have the, go ahead yeah. go ahead i'm sorry go ahead i was just gonna say is is uh you know don't don't worry about making any money on that first deal. Right? Eat bologna sandwiches on the first deal because guess what? You're going to eat steak, you know, on your next couple of deals. Mm. Uh, powerful. <laughs> uh, have the way you acquire clients since you've started changed at all? Absolutely. It's constantly evolving. Um, mm. we, we're focusing more now on uh, referrals. Um, we've got enough. Yeah. Kind of history and, and I was, you know, turnover where uh, turnover in the fact that um, our investors have stayed with us through a couple of deals. Mm. And it's not uncommon for, you know, after that first deal they invest in that they're like, hey, Colby, I want to introduce you to, you know, my two buddies over here. Right. And we start that conversation. And, and it's so, you know, so we're focusing, we're putting a lot more effort into our investor relations this year. Mm. Uh, to making our process so much smoother. Um, 
you know, before we were like, let's get deals, get the money, get them to close, mm. make money for folks. Now we've got that. Mm. Now let's make our investor experience even better. Um, Cause happy investors are repeat investors. And so, Absolutely. and then so. Is social media podcasting or YouTubing a part of your marketing and sales strategy at all? It is. It yep. is. How's that, how, how's that going for, for a business of, of, of your kind? 84 million in assets. I'm sure those who have new real estate businesses would really love how they can use social media podcasting or YouTube as part of their strategy. How are y'all doing it? Um, I would honestly, I'm doing it poorly right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the honesty. <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm almost 50 years old. So I'm, um, you know, so I didn't grow up with the internet. Uh, you know, so the social media thing is, is, you know, up until having this company is, it's always been secondary, right? It's been more keeping in contact with friends and family. Mm. especially like Facebook. Um, but we are, we, we've hired some consultants. Um, so we've started a couple Instagram, uh, like personal right. Instagram, not a big fan of Instagram, at least for the real estate side, right. um, either I'm not interesting or nobody's interested in real estate, but mm. or, it's just a younger crowd. Right. Uh, we're putting a lot of our focus now in LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, we're seeing a lot more interaction. So really we've just took a lot of content we already had on, on Instagram mm. and putting it, just re repurposing it over in uh, LinkedIn. Mm. Uh, we just hired a company uh, last month. We're doing um, some uh, recordings. Uh, we've got, I got an ebook. We, we did okay. up an ebook for like free education. Uh, Congratulations. You know, folks out. Thanks. Yeah. You're just trying to, you know, just trying to get information out, let people learn about us, see what we're about. That, that definitely makes sense. And I would imagine with what you and your um, business partner has achieved that um, that I would imagine the the big um, turn for the better using social media would be to more so really just document uh, y'all's journey, um, document your journey rather than create content. And I, I say that because um, on social media nowadays, I mean, there's a lot of creating content and it's hard to stand out when people are just simply creating content. It, But it's it's uh more simple to stand out when you're documenting um your journey which um I, I know it may sound nuanced but um that's something that I you know would love to talk to you about at a different time if you were open to talk to talk about that. Um what are what are some of the personal development practices that you have helped or that have helped you grow as an entrepreneur? Um I'm I'm still working on consistency. And I, and I, and I, it really that stands out is on my social media stuff. And that's the reason why <laughs> it's hard for me to stay consistent on putting out, uh, you know, stuff um, mm. and, and those documentations. But yeah, just uh, in consistency and it, it, I'm just doing the boring stuff. And that's what I mean more in consistency, right? It is. It, to be successful in any business, you really have to focus on the boring stuff, all right? The day-to-day, -day, right? You know, your, your expenditures, your, your KPIs, you know, your emails, the stuff that's not sexy, right? right? Going to conferences, talking on stage, meeting with investors, right? That's fun and it, that's right. exciting, energetic, right. you know, but, you know, calling the electric company, um, talking to property management and all that is, is not 
And right. so that's my biggest challenge because um, I, I, I don't I've never been diagnosed with ADHD, but I feel like I have that. <laughs> so the consistency of staying focused on the, the minutiae stuff, mm. uh, it's just been my personal challenge. You mentioned earlier that um, you took a deep dive into your education in the first um, few years of y'all starting the real estate company. So that way you could um, really make sure that you grew and had the success that you wanted to see. What is one book, course, or podcast that has helped you in your business or personal life? Uh, you can't go wrong with Bigger Pockets. Bigger Pockets? Is, that's, a, that's a podcast, correct? Um, they have a podcast, but then okay. they also have a big uh, like community forum They're on Facebook. Um, they're just, it's a lot of commercial real estate. Brandon Turner has books out and stuff. He's kind of the, the founder of it. That's a really good place to start. Okay. Um, another book I really loved when I got out, I can't remember the name of the author, but it's called uh, Killing It in Apartment Buildings. Uh, mm. Some of those lines, it's a black book with red lettering. Okay. Uh, what I really liked about that is it was, it was a very visual book. And the fact that it just wasn't all, education so they took a property they would spend first half of the chapter talking the educational piece right what is noi what's cost segregation you're breaking down all the components and then what you learned in first half of the chapter they actually walked you through how they applied it to a real world property and so you get to see the transformation of that property uh throughout the book and you know and, and how to uh you know apply those lessons you know, because you can get a book and read it, but if you don't know how to apply it, absolutely, it's not doing anything. So that, to me, that was a really good book. So Killing It in Apartment Buildings, can't remember the, but it was really good because it was kind of like a elementary school, junior high level. Yeah. Um, you know, if you, if you want more of the technical stuff and the dry, uh, Matt, Matt Faircloth, I think it's Matt or, or Joe Fairless, somebody had the, the uh, apartment investing guide. Mm. It's a real thick, it looks like a textbook. Uh, <laughs> I, I will be sure to include those resources um, in the show notes as well. So what's next for you? What, what is your number one or what is your vision or number one business goal for the next three years? So in the next three years, our goal is uh, we've got a couple of goals, but our, our main goal is, is to grow our business to half a billion dollars in assets. on the market. Mm, Half a bit. Wow. So, but did, so did, about 400, did, almost 400, a little over 400 million to go. Would, would you, would you, would you like to share your, your game plan or, or, or do we have to stay tuned and, and watch how that happens? You know, it's, it's so really it, it's a simple game plan, find deals, find money. Mm. So, so to get to mm. that, actually our game plan is we're building relationships with brokers other partners in different markets. We know we can't just stay in one market. We're going to have to expand out. So building the boots on the ground, there's teams in place uh, in the markets we're interested in. We love the Southeast all the way out to Texas and, you know, and building the, the investor relations. So, mm. you know, we're attending medical conferences. We're getting on, on LinkedIn. Mm. Um, we're also looking at starting a fund. Um, mm. We already, we have a fund. Um, folks need to call me about that one. I can't, it's a, uh, 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 for not with, um, yeah, I'll just say we have a fund started. Uh, we focus on veterans and first responders mm. and first time investors. 
Is there, is there, uh, would you like to share your number for them to call you or an email they can reach you at that I put in the show notes? How, how would you like for my listeners to get in yeah. contact with you? Uh, Colby.Bowers at SentinelEquityGroup.com. Okay. Uh, I can share some more. We can jump on a call. Uh, we're about ready to close that fund out because we've kind of hit where we want to on it, but because okay. it's a, it's a 506C, so it's for non-accredited, so you, we can't advertise. So if mm. you're all listening to this, this is considered advertising. I can't put you into the fund anyway, but <laughs> we have future things coming. <laughs> yeah, you have, you have future funds on the way. Def- definitely so. Um, and I will be sure to include your contact information in the show notes as well. Um, if there was a principle or practice that you weren't able to share today and would like to share, what would it be? I mean, I think we covered everything. I think the one I would really, we touched on it, transparency. Mm. Transparency with not just your partners, future partners, but also your investors. Mm. If a deal's going bad, tell them. Mm. Right? Or if it did, not that the deal's going bad, but if your business plan, right? Nobody can anticipate COVID. Right. Right. Just be honest going, Hey, I didn't anticipate COVID. We're having some trouble with this, this, and this. We're, we're, we're not in, in, you know, we're on, we're not, we're not in, in uh, fear of losing the property, but Hey, our returns are going to suffer until we got to get this whole thing figured out. Mm. And most of the time they're very appreciative. They're like, I get it. That makes sense. Right. You know? And so they, that they don't freak out when, you know, unless you, unless you keep quiet, if you don't tell them or paint a rosy picture. And then Mm. when it goes time to, give them their dividend. They're like, well, why haven't I got my dividend? Mm. You know, they're a little unhappy. Right. So right. Like, I think transparency, transparency, let them know the good, the bad. Um, I haven't had it, but I have a good friend of mine that is a syndicator and actually lost money on a deal, mm. uh, but was open and transparent with his investor. Unfortunately, it was a small enough deal. It was three or four. Um, it was four, four investors. Three of them, three out of that four of those four reinvested with him into it the next year, mm. even though it lost them some money. Mm. Right, the fourth one, yeah, the fourth one was just like, you know, I mean, obviously you're going to have it, right? You can't make everybody happy, but right. um, he credits it just being transparent and honest. Mm. You know, I, so one of my core values is radical transparency. And uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think being transparent is a principle for life that, makes life more peaceful um if if you are transparent with clients partners investors spouse kids i mean like you think about it just being being transparent is the way to go um my my uh final question here to kind of follow up on that um as we are talking about being transparent um, when it comes to investors and and partners and such is how important is it to you or how important do you think it is that when you are being transparent about any given situation, good, or in this case, bad, how important is it to also include what you plan on doing or um, the the potential solutions that you're considering to uh, take action on? Like, how important is that? It's probably, it's just as critical as, as telling them about the issue. Mm. Um, And I won't, so I will delay in reporting bad news for, for two reasons. One is I want to make sure I have all the information first. So I'll go in and write, make sure I got all the data. What's the underlying problem. And then I want to have, my goal is three, in the military, you have courses of actions, three colors. So I always have tried to have three courses of action 
that we're potentially taking um, to give to the investors. Right? Mm-hmm. I like three because you know best laid plans never f- survive first com- uh, contact in combat. Uh, same thing in uh, in business. So always have some backup contingencies in those courses mm-hmm. of action. Uh, and, it, and they love it because they're like, okay, you're honest, you're open. Mm-hmm. And you, you just, so there's your transparency, but then, hey, guess what? You didn't just tell me the problem. Now you have a solution that you've already implemented and you've got multiple avenues to go. I mean, you guys are all over it. Go for it. You know, and right. then you don't get those weekly phone calls of going, where's my money? Where's my money? What's going on with this property and stuff? Mm, definitely agree. Um, Colby, thank you for joining me on the podcast today, sharing your experience, your wealth of knowledge. Um, it's been fun. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. This has been a blast. You're welcome. And to my listeners, I really hope uh, that you take something that you learned today and use it in your daily path for building the authentic life and business that you desire. Until next time, have a blessed day. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Daily Path Podcast. If you would like to launch your own podcast show to expand your reach, grow your network, and sign more premium clients for your business, visit dailypathacademy.com to learn how we can help you launch an impactful podcast that changes lives around the world and acquires high-ticket clients for your business. That's dailypathacademy.com.